This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Queer spaces have become a target for the growing number of LGBTQ hate crimes in Chicago and across the country. Most recently, a man wielding a hammer yelled gay slurs and attacked our public house, which is a queer-owned bar in Rogers Park. So joining us now to talk about this most recent incident and how to promote safety in queer spaces is Jake Wittick, a Block Club Chicago reporter covering LGBTQ news. Welcome back to Reset, Jake. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Doing well, but uh, we've got some some troubling stuff to talk about here. Tell us what happened Monday night. Yeah, so Monday evening there were, um, well, our public house, it is a gay-owned restaurant and bar in Rogers Park, and there were two people walking into the bar, and they were followed by this man who was harassing them, and he followed them into the bar, um, called them a gay slur, and then was kind of shouted out of the bar by people who were there. Um, And when he left the bar, he pulled out a hammer, it um, smashed the glass window of the front door and left. So it was it's a suspected homophobic attack. Um, I believe police are investigating it as a hate crime, the bar owner said. So um, they're kind of dealing with the fallout right now. So he was just walking around with a hammer and just ready to hurt somebody. I mean, what else do we know about this person? Um, I don't know too much. I don't think they've arrested anyone yet or anything like that. But I do believe there's surveillance footage. So. Wow. How has the community responded to this? Um, People are rightfully upset. I mean, a lot of people are surprised. Rogers Park is a very diverse neighborhood. It has a pretty big LGBTQ population. So I think people are surprised to see something homophobic happen in their community. Um, But it really does align with just a growing trend of anti-LGBTQ hate crimes across the country. Yeah. Um, Customers this week at the, the club, what are they saying? Um, they're just really upset. They want to support the bar. They want to keep coming out. Yeah. Um, I think they think the best thing to do right now is to just show up for their community, show out, be proud, and show that this attack isn't going to stop them from being themselves and having a good time. And for those who aren't familiar, how long has our public house been in that space? A decade. Ten years. Yeah. Has this happened before? No, they said they've never had. Um, if you read the Sun-Times article, they said that they've never had any homophobic attacks like this before. That's wild after 10 years to suddenly have to deal with this uh, when you've been seeing it all around, but you never think oh, it was going to come to our space, right? Uh, let's add another voice to the conversation with us, Jake. Uh, Kristen Kaza's here. She's a producer of Slomo, which is Chicago's longstanding LGBTQ party. Hey there. Hi. Thanks okay. for joining us. So, you know, as someone who helps to, to cultivate safe spaces yeah. for, for the queer community, I'm curious your initial reaction when you first heard that there was this attack at our public house. Well, Jake filled me in on that this morning. And, you know, it always hurts when it's in your backyard. I think people aren't expecting that in Chicago. They weren't expecting it in New York when the brick was thrown through a bar there. I believe that was about a month or so ago. Um, I think that when we talk about and use this language of safe space, we, we actually have to back up and start there I understand why that language is used a lot because, you know, spaces spaces that are intentionally created to make LGBT people feel affirmed and welcomed and thought of. Um, But no space can promise safety. And um, safety means something different to each individual. That is true. And so I think, you know, we certainly need to be, and we're in a situation now we're seeing, you know, statistically increased attacks on LGBT spaces and people. Um, We need to be thinking about safety measures. Um, But I think this idea of a safe space, we've got to shift our thinking on that celebratory, you know, um, 
welcoming, um, you know, again, those can sort of be euphemisms. But it's but a term that's thrown around a lot. You're, you're making a great point here. Yeah. Safe space, safe space. I hear that all the time. But yes. what is safety? Right. And it really, you know, there's folks who don't feel coming, you know, safe coming into a space because perhaps some of these attacks that have happened, it might also be, you know, because of um, nightlife in general. You know, that's something that I've been trying to say a lot is like nightlife is inherently unsafe. So we're talking right now about bars and clubs. Of course, there's other LGBT places of gathering, but predominantly, and at least historically, especially, um, these have really been our places, you know, dance floors have been our sanctuaries. And so it's important to remember that when you're walking into a space that already has the presence of alcohol and substances, it's dark, it's crowded, folks are bringing in their energies and days with them. Um, That's not, you know, what I would consider a safe space initially. And so I think that, that it, you know, there there has to be a relationship between attendees and organizers and space makers. And, and for me, as someone who's been, you know, a, an event producer predominantly in this community for about 17 years, I really feel that that's where we need to be shifting is thinking of how we can collaboratively work toward safety. Yeah. Um, because it's so much pressure on space owners and space makers um, to come up with the solutions to help people feel that they can feel safe and free enough in a space. Well, I mean, to this point that you're making, our public house, it's it's in a part of town that has a large LGBTQ population. So does where this happened, Mm. did did that surprise you at all? Because it's like, we're supposed to be around our own people. Right. You know, yes and no. I mean, I think it just, it, it, it makes the point that we... As LGBT people, and especially if you have, you know, even further layered uh, oppressed experiences, if you're a person of color or black, if you, you know, have a disability, if you are what might be considered more visibly trans, like these are are layers of vulnerability. And so I think it's different for each person and how you're operating, moving about in the world, right? Um, but I think when something happens like in Rogers Park, you know, it just shows that this this really could take place anywhere. And, you know, what's also very troubling, it's not just nightlife. We also have story hours that are being disrupted in really, really violent ways. And, really? and I have, yeah, drag queen story hours across the country that are having protests and people are coming armed outside and saying, you know, really horrific things. And we know that that's, you know, very much an attack on on, yes, you know, drag performers, but also trans people and gender expansive people. So, you know, it, it is a heavy topic that we're talking about here, especially, yeah. we, you know, we want to be joy centered. We there are so many things about LGBT spaces that are so joy centered and 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 create feelings of of safety and affirmation. But we're also contending with this and it's really challenging. And I don't know that anyone has written the book on how you can effectively make oh. a space safe. Give us a sense of scale here, Jake. How often are we seeing hate crimes like this happening in Chicago? Um, I mean, are we seeing it up in the past few years? Yeah, the Sun-Times report said that hate crimes were up last year and most of them were anti-LGBTQ hate crimes. Um, Just in recent months, I can think of a few examples, maybe not necessarily hate crimes, but harassment. Um, There's a private school in Lincoln Park, Francis W. Parker, Mm -hmm. And they had done an LGBTQ inclusive sex education lesson for their students. And they actually brought a drag queen in for a story hour once. And a far right media group caught wind of this and it blew up online. And that school has been facing a lot of harassment since then. So it's um, yeah. it, it goes to show that this kind of 
sentiment can happen anywhere in Chicago. Well, some more numbers here from the Sun-Times. It says uh, Chicago's police department reported 177 hate crimes last year, uh, the most in 11 years. And as you said, the uh, anti-LGBTQ incidents were the most common. Do you have any idea if if the police, are are they offering more support to, to businesses that have faced hate crimes like these? Are there any efforts to do such things? I, I know that after something happens, they'll increase their security presence, like after the horrific um, mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs, which it's a, a gay bar there, and five people died. Um, I know that police increase their presence around um, North Halstead, the Boys Town area, to make sure that those bars are safer. Um, but it also does bring in a question, what is safety to people? Because a lot of queer people might not feel comfortable with an increased police presence. So it's a tough needle to thread. Yes, Kristen, let's go back to that, right? That that safety conversation. Who specifically do you think needs to be part of that collaboration to create these safe spaces? Like, I mean, do you see city officials or law enforcement playing a significant role there? Or could it possibly be too much coming from them? Uh, that's a really, really great question. I think that's also when community needs to be engaged. You know, each community might want something different, which makes things you know, a bit complex. Right. And again, I just have to reemphasize the work that this puts and the labor and pressure that it puts on space makers. You know, this requires education, training. I'll give you some examples. So we, uh, Slomo, we had our New Year's Eve party um, at a Uh, where we have our residency at a a music venue called Sleeping Village in Avondale. And due to also an increase in overdoses that have been taking place and laced, um, you know, substances, we did um, a training in using um, Narcan. And we had notified the community and attendees that we would have three people who were on site and that we had Narcan there in the um, instance of overdose. So, you know, again, when we're talking about safety, yes, violence, but we're also talking about you know, health and wellness. And mm-hmm. you know, that conversation extends into, you know, accessibility um, and and so forth. So it's a complex conversation. And as we were saying before, it means people have different expectations of what a space is supposed to provide. Um, you know, some things that we'd also been considering was having an EMT hired for the night, you know, different ways of, of implementing yeah, safety measures, also to mitigate the need for potentially having to call 911. Um, because it is true, you know, there are a lot of folks in the community who feel more unsafe with the presence potentially of more security or of of, um, police presence. And then there's some folks who would feel, you know, safer with that. So Mm -hmm. I think it is complex. I don't want to sit here and say that I have the answers. I think it's just important to start having this dialogue and open up that conversation and acknowledge that these are some of the things that we're contending with. When I started throwing parties, you know, 16, 17 years ago, a lot of these things were not on my radar. You know, granted, I was younger, but also it wasn't as much of a a Boy, have things changed. Right. Yeah. There's a lot that's changed. There's a lot that's changed. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about safety in queer spaces. This is in light of recent anti-queer hate attacks happening across the country. We're talking with Jake Wittick, a Block Club Chicago reporter who's covering LGBTQ news, and Kristen Kaza, who's a producer of Slow Mo. That's Chicago's longstanding LGBTQ party. Um, So, Jake, we mentioned earlier Club Q in in Colorado, and we know... um, Bars in Chicago, they've already increased or looked into increasing security, especially after that um, 
shooting in, in Colorado. But talk about a bit more about the additional measures and, and who the cost of that increased security right. falls on. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I first noticed this. I don't go out much anymore because I'm kind of old now. <laughs> Join the club, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> but I went out last month for my birthday and I noticed that a lot of the bars were wanding people with metal detectors, patting us down. Um, some of those can be common in the winter because bars don't want people sneaking in alcohol or other items. Um, but I asked the people at the front door, like, when did you start doing this? And they said it was after the Club Q shooting. Okay. Um, so if you go out to the North Halstead Entertainment District, a lot of bars, not all of them, but a lot of bars have taken these additional measures or some like Sidetrack have already been taking these measures for a while. Um, but I spoke with Whitney Lamoro, who is the creative director at Dorothy, which is a basement lesbian bar in Ukrainian Village. Mm-hmm. And she brought up a good point about, um, well, one thing they did was in the, they already were hiring security on a part-time basis, but the day of the attack, they were like, you know what, we need to amp this up. We need to do this every day so that our staff and our patrons can feel safe. But she brought up a good point that when there's an attack on the queer community, like the Colorado Springs shooting, the burden falls on us um, or the queer people to solve it. So they've taken on, you know, a financial strain by hiring private security every single day. And it's a small bar. It's not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap. So, um, you know, the burden really does fall on them to pay for yeah. Other people's hatred. I mean, and Kristen, you're you're throwing these parties. Does hearing all of this, seeing all of these these attacks in the news, are you? Det- is it deterring you at all from from going to these spaces or cultivating these spaces for queer people? No, I mean, for me, it's the opposite. You know, this is definitely something I feel is is like my my calling and my my duty. Um, I'm be trying to learn how to be better and better and an ever changing. Um, world that a world that is unsafe um, and I think that what's super important is collaboration so you know you yourself individually may not always have the answers so there's a lot of you know conversations and, and things that are happening that maybe attendees of the public don't see but you know there are space owners promoters we're having you know artists we're having these conversations we should be having these conversations but you know Jake was just mentioning what Whitney was sharing about that pressure that that falls on us you know in a way that is partially your obligation when you're becoming a facilitator I think some of the things that could help just reach more folks would be an a movement toward having places for LGBT people to gather and feel good together beyond nightlife that has been really our central place of gathering for for so long and don't get me wrong I mean I love nightlife Dance floor is a very important place for us to gather right. under a thumping speaker. And it always will be. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, the arbiters of such great culture that has come out of those spaces. But I think I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people, and Jake just mentioned, like, oh, I don't go out as much anymore. People are wanting things that are during the day. Day always feels, I think, inherently safer for a lot of people. Right. Um, having smaller gatherings, having things that are activities. You know, I had twins in June. I am definitely interested, and I know a lot of people are interested in having things they can bring their families too. But yeah. we've also mentioned that earlier, right. that these are also some of these spaces that are, you know, including children are, are getting a, di- you know, a similar type of hatred, but it's yeah. coming from that angle. So, but I do think that if we're starting to think about what are some other ways that we can gather and be together. And I think that that, 
yes, that falls on space makers, but that's also like broader community and businesses to say, yeah. hey, we want to host something here and we're going to invest in that. Cause it's going to be a collaborative effort. It's got to sure. be a collaborative effort. And there needs to be investment in the LGBT space makers, artists, et cetera, so that, you know, if we're able to keep we need to be sustained to be able to keep doing that yeah. work and not have it all fall. Always so, so sum this up for us, Jake. What what is already happening? Like from from the city, what action are we seeing, if anything, either in Chicago or in Springfield on this? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's much in Chicago on my radar, at least. Um, but I did speak with Tom Tunney, the alderman in Lakeview, mm-hmm. and um, he told me that he's been speaking with bar owners and business owners in light of the. Um, Colorado Springs shooting about improving safety. Um, these are conversations they already have around big events like the Pride Parade or Market Days or Pride Fest, things like that, Yeah, um, where they have to be conscious that there might be some hatred out there around those events. Um, but now it sounds like they're having these conversations year-round. So they held a seminar last month um, for business owners about how to handle active threats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just got a minute left, Kristen. Talk to folks listening. How can we best support queer own bars and businesses just in ensuring that there's a safe space for this community. Well, I think patronage is obviously important, right? Showing up because as um, Jake was saying about space like Dorothy's where they're saying, hey, we're making this investment for you to hire security is showing up. But we can't always show up, right? There's always going to be other ways. (laughs) Sometimes it's as simple as asking, hey, how can I support you, right? True. Um, And we've been really fortunate with Slomo. We see a lot of support in that way. People will reach out. But um, I think that there's ways to support community without necessarily having to physically be there and showing up. Also, there's opportunity for volunteering. We're going to be doing some training with the Chicago Recovery Alliance. Um, again, going back oh, to great. understanding better. They're wonderful. So big shout out to them. They do volunteer training around um, substances and um, overdoses. You know, if you have a service or you have something that you can offer, I think just generally being of service is a wonderful mindset yeah. for us to be in. And to also raising awareness and showing affirmation in terms of what you're sharing. You know, there's so many different ways that we can show our support. It can be monetary. It can right. be something that we've, you know, a service that we can contribute. Great. And for folks to be thinking about it Lots that way. of ways to help. Kristen Kaza is a producer of Slow Mo, which is a longstanding LGBTQ party. And Jake Wittick is a Block Club Chicago reporter who covers LGBTQ news. Thank you both for joining. Thank Thank you for having us. us.